Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on the show, episode 117, and we have a very special guest once again. Her last name may be King, but she is the queen. Elena's King is on the show. You probably know and have seen her work over the years of motorsports and automotive journalism. She is great and she has a lot of stories to share. We talked about some serious stuff, but we also got into the weeds on some very, very fun stuff as well. Plus we'll chat about Eric Almarola's surprise victory at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. But before we do any of that, starting this episode, paying homage to maybe not a number 17 in NASCAR, I asked my dad why he didn't do that because there's a lot of options. Daryl Waltrip, Matt Kenseth, to name a couple. But instead, he's going across the pond and talking about instead of four wheels, only two. He'll explain in this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duve. We've often lamented that NASCAR drivers don't get enough credit for being athletes. Today, we venture away from NASCAR and across the pond to give props to some of the greatest athletes in the world who, in my opinion, also don't get their full due, at least not here in the States. Today's episode is number 117. The Tour de France was first contested 118 years ago. I know, I'm a week early. Deal with it. Last Sunday marked the conclusion of the 2021 race, It covered a total of 2,121 miles, ridden over 21 stages, and was won for the second year in a row by Croatian Tadej Pogacar. It had crashes that took out some of the favorites. It had surprises in the form of Mark Cavendish, nicknamed the Meg's Missile, who wasn't even scheduled to compete in the event, but ended up winning four stages to tie the sports goat Eddie Merckx for the most stage wins of all time at 34. And it had dominance in the form of Pogacar, who was the equal and then some of all his competitors. He won two grueling stages with mountaintop finishes, as well as an individual time trial. And if that wasn't enough, in addition to the yellow jersey and a boatload of cash for the race winner, he also took home the white jersey for best young rider and the polka dot jersey, for the race as king of the mountains. Watching the peloton of riders cruise through France over three weeks is as close as I've gotten to visiting the country, but I'll get there. Mama Siegel doesn't share my enthusiasm for the event, and her favorite part every year is when I tell her the race is over. Kachiga! That's all for this week. Back to our host, who... In the words of the late, great tour commentator Paul Sherwin, we'll be digging deep into his suitcase of courage to highlight this past week's NASCAR news. That New Hampshire race was the bomb, eh, Duve? 
Thank you, Mom, for the kachiga, and thank you, Dad. Yes, I will dig deep into my suitcase of courage to finish off this episode strong before we head into the two-week Olympic break, which, by the way, we're not going to have a break here on Victory Lane. We're going to keep on rolling, so be sure to subscribe and, and keep that notifications popping up for you because even though NASCAR stops, I don't stop for you. Let's get this episode started like we always do with a good old-fashioned I may have to muffle it because Robin's in a meeting in the closet right now. Wasn't my best work, but got to do what I got to do. How the heck did that happen? Eric Amarola wins at New Hampshire Motor Speedway in a weather-affected race. I don't know how that happened. I did not see that coming. SHR ran real well. Ford ran real well. That's a tongue twister. Put a whooping on him at New Hampshire. I mean, they really did. Eric Almarola, third career win, first on a non-super speedway track. The dude came into the race 27th in the point standings, and now he's in the playoffs. How about that? Double A in victory lane. This is an organization. It's not about just me winning the race today. I mean, there's there's so many people that it takes to to get me to the racetrack to be able to drive the race car, and it's, you know, Booga and I obviously get a lot of the credit as him being the head of the team as the crew chief and me being the driver, but um, there's so many people back at the shop that it takes to build the cars, and um, it, honestly, we've, we've worked so hard this year, um, not only because we've been behind and trying to play catch-up, but because we've wrecked a lot of race cars. I mean, I've, I've had more DNFs this year in my career, that, or this year, than I have like combined in my entire career. Um, it's been an awful year for bringing home wrecked race cars, and it's really challenging when you do that on, on the organization. They're constantly trying to rebuild race cars. So this feels so sweet to be able to do that for, for all those men and women back at the shop, as much as it does for our team. Give a call to Mike Bugaravich as well, the crew chief, whose name I can proudly spell. Uh, look, he, he's had a long journey to get to this point in the season. He's been a crew chief for a couple different drivers in the Cup Series with Stuart Haas Racing, and he'll be the first to tell you their season has not been what they imagine, but this win is just what the doctor ordered. To say the least is just uh, almost uh, unreal. I mean, the, the challenge is that this particular team and the organization has been through this year has has been a difficult one, to say the least. And uh and you know what? The, the team never gave up. Eric never gave up. SHR never gave up. You know, every person back at the shop. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of frustrated people, and um, but nobody gave up. You know, and, and it means a lot. And we go into a day like today, and you know, we're we're showing up thinking that man, if we have a top five, top ten day, like we're, we're getting better, right? And things are going the right way. And an opportunity presented itself to to win the race and. And it was it was unbelievable, but it just showed the dedication everybody has and the the uh, ability to never give up and and keep fighting. And I think we're on the right path as a, as a whole group. We're on the right path. So, um, you know, it, it all starts with the leadership up top with Greg and, and everybody else and uh, and and the desire to keep hanging banners like we talk about all the time. Got to talk about the race start as well. I mean, it was raining and they still decided to go. And it was a bad move, they being NASCAR, because Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., hit the wall going into turn one. It is wet. That's what they were saying on the radio. And NASCAR just did not throw the caution quick enough. Took out two of the best cars probably of the day before it even really got started for him. 
Kyle Busch tapped the pace car, showed his displeasure, didn't say what he wanted to say on television because he said it would get him in trouble, but it just was not a good look. And NASCAR admitted their mistake. They, you know, took responsibility for it, for lack of a better term, I guess. But it's it's not a good look. And Pete Pistone of the Morning Drive of SiriusXM NASCAR Radio had a really good tweet, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said, I don't know if I'm too comfortable with the trend that I've been seeing of NASCAR pushing the envelope when it comes to safety. You can see the Roval last year with Xfinity, Coda this year with Cup, Texas last year with Cup, and now this at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And I am also not comfortable with the fact that television may have a huge, huge hand in this and the safety of the sport declining. And again, I'm paraphrasing. You can look up that tweet for yourself. But I agree with him there. I mean, this is not this race should not have been started. The drivers are saying it's wet. The spotters are saying it's wet. You should not have green flag conditions with slick tires on a track like this. Shouldn't happen. Can't happen. But it did happen, and they ended up having a delay, which then meant that they were racing against darkness. So they had to call the race eight laps early. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle here because one might say, it's eight laps. What's eight laps going to make in terms of a difference of being at darker light? I mean, it was already pretty dark. You run four more minutes. It's eight laps. It's fine. Well, not if you get a caution and you have to red flag the race and then clean it up. And then when you try to restart the race, there's no daylight to do it. So I understand where NASCAR was coming from, but I still just wish that we could have gotten the full race in just from a from a traditionalist and a purist perspective, especially the way that the race started. It just, it was not the best day for NASCAR officiating. I'll leave it at that. Other series were in action at New Hampshire as well. Give a call to Ryan Priest. He wins the modified tour race at New Hampshire on a pretty wild last lap. He's a wheelman. We know it past Justin Bonsignor. And even though he's not running full time on the modified tour, he should be. And he showed why. Feels like Daytona. Uh, to be honest with you, um, some people that might not know what New Hampshire means to me and people in New England might not, they might kind of look at me weird, but um, people up here in New England, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, you know, if you're from this area, this place means a lot to you. You grew up here and being somebody who's come here since I was a little kid, my grandfather would camp right outside of, um, right outside where the main gate is, right behind there. Uh, I just have so many memories going up and down the fan zone. You know, and running around here as a kid and then coming here and racing modified since 2007. <clears throat> this has been that one track that's really eluded me. Christopher Bell comes back down to the Xfinity Series, which he once has dominated with Joe Gibbs Racing, and wins once again in the 54 car for JGR. Chris Gale's the crew chief. All he does is win, man. C. Bell, second win of 2021, first one in the Xfinity Series. This place has been really good to me. And I think it's just all because I've been able to drive really, really fast race cars, whether it was Kyle Busch Motorsports Tundras or Joe Gibbs Racing um, Camrys and Super, Supras. So just very fortunate to drive really fast race cars. And uh, yeah, just glad to be here at JGR. And now we got a two-week off break for the Olympics. I personally think that this is a good choice and it's needed for a lot of people in racing. Like, even though people may not want it, I think this is something that people need. And Kevin Harvick said that this week at New Hampshire. I think less is more. I wrote about it this week for NASCAR Mailbox on Front Stretch. Shorten the races, shorten the season, have more breaks because it gets so monotonous. And 
I get that people should expect a race every Sunday, but at the same time, you got to break things up. So I think this break is good. Before we throw it over to our interview with Alanis King this week, sponsored read once again on the podcast. I want to give a shout out to Rhino Classifieds. Rhino came on the scene recently with a bang, giving away Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s drift truck. Rhino was created by the founder of Racing Junk because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling application that allowed users to just see what they wanted rather than all those ads that get in the way and the random crap that nobody really wants. So head on over to rhino.co and sign up for a free account. Find the car part, race car, classic car, or modified street machine that you're looking for, or post yours. Rhino.co. Classified for racers, built by racers. Interview time. Let's throw it over to Business Insider's Alanis King. She is a Chris Angel enthusiast. You probably know her from racing spaces as well. We ran the gamut with Alanis. I will not give a spoiler alert, but I will say I did make her cry in this conversation. It was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. And I literally made her cry real tears. So I think you guys may want to tune in for this one. She's been around the game for a long, long time, been a friend of mine for a long time as well. And we finally were able to sit down and have a real fun conversation, talked about a lot of different things. And I'll get out of the way because we ran the gamut on this one. Here is my conversation with the queen, Alanis King. Pleasure to be joined this week on the pod by an old, old friend. I feel like whenever I talk to this person, we we just reminisce about the good old days before the internet was a mean, evil place, and we were young, dumb, stupid. We didn't know what we didn't know, and now both of us, probably one more than the other, are thriving, and we're trying to do what we can in the real world of motorsports and journalism. It is the one, the only, cat-loving, Chris Angel-obsessed, racing space's own, Alanis King. How the heck are you? I was just talking off mic, and we haven't seen each other forever, but it's great to catch up with you again. Oh, yeah, it is so great to catch up with you. I am doing great. I have my cat walking over right now. I'm sure she's about to get in the frame. It's good. Fantastic. She's great. But, you know, I'm just doing my thing and I am doing well. Good. Well, we were talking before we started recording for a peek behind the curtain for everybody. And I will be upset if the cat does not make an appearance on screen. So I'm glad that she's already working her way over. Oh, yeah. No, I was saying earlier that I had a meeting that I had to do earlier right here. And the cat, Portia, she makes an appearance every single time because she loves meetings. She Mm -hmm. loves video meetings. And the person I was in the meeting with, they were submitting that video to someone else. And they were like, she can't be in it because if I have to edit it, she can't be in one shot and not be in the other shot. Yes, but you don't understand. She won't get down. (laughs) That's the problem. It was lovely. (laughs) So I was going to ask how you pronounce her name because I've seen it written for years, but I've never heard it pronounced. So it's Portia like the car. Yes, so it's Portia like the car. Um, When we found her, our older cat, whom we still have, his name is Brutus. And I have this thing where I just name cats after Shakespeare characters. And if you've seen Julius Caesar, you read Julius Caesar, Brutus and Portia are two characters in Julius Caesar. So we have Brutus and Portia. And then we get the added bonus of it's pronounced like the car company Portia, yes. 
Yeah, so my mind was like, all right, she works in cars, right? Like, it's Porsche. But nope, just some Shakespeare stuff. That makes sense. Yeah, just some weird stuff. Just some weird (laughs) stuff. People are like, so Porsche like the car company? And I'm like, not quite, actually, but kind of, sort of. It's weird every time. You are are a big-time cat lady, though. And you do fully embrace it because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like cat people get a bad rep. Like, they're like, oh, they're the weird people. Oh, you're a cat person. Mm, Don't really know if I want to associate myself with you. But you're a cat girl through and through. So you don't care what they think. Absolutely. Like, I don't think so. I think it's bad to have stigmas of certain pet owners. Because at the end of the day, there are many, many animals in shelters who need Mm -hmm. homes. It's like, cats are so loving. I love cats. And you know what? I'm not very good at interacting with dogs. But I'm not going to be like, ew, dog person, gross. Like, no, if you like your dog, that's great. I don't know whether to tap, like, pat your dog or stroke (laughs) your dog. Like, I don't know how to interact with It's called a boop, A boop or a pat or whatever. I don't know how to do it, but I will, like, kind of try. And that's what's important. (laughs) Does Portia get along with other cats and maybe other dogs? No, she is, like, very much only child syndrome kind mm. of cat well, um, me too so i get it yes uh yeah same <laughs> um she is when she comes into contact with other animals she is like get out of my house <laughs> get out of my house it's and her territory so, yes it's her territory and she's very feisty about it so well in your twitter bio you have quote the cat lady who writes about cars so <laughs> I feel like if you haven't already, you need to make some merch. Like, I feel like you have a big enough following and Portia <laughs> has probably a bigger following than you. Those yes, things probably. would sell. You know, so people people have told me that I should make merch because I don't know if you've seen it, but I have this thread. Um, I have my car man thread where yeah, I, yeah, take, yeah. I take all of like the interactions I've had over the course of my career in cars and motorsports and I form them into a thread where I am the car man and people really want like stuff related to that because they love that thread and I honestly love that thread every time I get a new idea to add to it I get so excited like I think one of my favorites I ever posted in my car man thread was something about like traveling across the world to drive different cars as I carve through the world's roads they carve through me and something about and my friend have you ever been to Italy and something about the women in Italy and their curves and stuff it was amazing it was poetry and I can't produce it right now because I'm not reading it but man I sit on those thread those like tweets and that thread and I'm like Mm -hmm. how do I make this so perfect And I like, I craft them. It is my entire being is making those tweets. <laughs> it's not easy. Being an influencer is not easy, people. It's it's not easy to craft this entire persona no. of our man. Like yeah. you have to stick with the bit. You really do. I wish I had one in front of me so I could read it. I really do, but I don't want to type on the keyboard and like mess up the recording. All right, if everybody that's listening right now, just pop open your phone or go on Twitter, or your computer, find Twitter the Carman thread search. and enjoy it. Yes, so Twitter advanced search, just search for my name and put in Carman, 
And the first one that'll come up, because I have to do this every time I add to the thread. (laughs) (laughs) The first one that'll come up is something about like, I'm the manliest of all car uh, car men. I've touched every car and stuff like that. That's the thread. Go enjoy. It's it's wonderful. I love it. Okay. So while everybody's (laughs) going to Twitter advanced search and finding that, let's dive into you and your career, because I think it's pretty interesting. So currently... Alanis, you are the associate editor of transportation at Business Insider, which Next. people are saying, okay, this is a racing podcast. What? Like, that's not really a racing gig. It's not 100% focused on racing, but it is in the racing sphere. But you primarily focus on, as it says in the title, transportation and cars in general. Like, looking at your byline, it is cars on cars on cars on cars. That's what you do. It's a lot of cars. And so, actually, I when I moved to this job, so I used to work at Jalopnik. I was a writer at um, Jalopnik, which is a car and automotive uh, web, like automotive and motorsport website. And when I went to Business Insider, it turns out that there are two divisions of Insider. There's business and there is life. And it turns out sports and motorsports are on life. And I'm on business with cars So there's this divide between them. So I can't do as much motorsports in my current job as I used to do, because it used to be like, oh, there's something NASCAR going on. I'm blogging about it. Whereas now I kind of mostly have to stick with cars because of the fact that that's that other division of the company. But I do sometimes write about motorsports because I love writing about motorsports, but it's actually been kind of freeing to do less constant coverage of motorsports because I'm allowed to, am I allowed to, am I allowed to curse? Am I allowed yes, to say, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I'm allowed to shit post about motorsports all the yep. time yep. and I love shit posting. So like big bonus there is I just get to shit post all day. Yeah. Speaking of shit posting, I was going to save this for the Jalopnik talk, but so <laughs> I went back to your author page, right? Oh God. The last three <laughs> articles that you posted. At okay? Jalopnik. Oh, no, no, no. I know what Yes, yes. So uh, we'll start with like a sentimental one, right? We have, it's never really goodbye, which was your Uh goodbye piece as you were leaving Jalopnik. Very heartfelt. Very, very nice. Another one was what the characters of Yu-Gi-Oh would drive in the year 2020. (laughs) Shitposting part A. And then part three, I guess part C. Oh, shit. These bitches are pink. The yellow splitter guards, Dodge Charger, and Challenger owners drive around with we're never meant to be fashionable, blah, 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 blah. So ship posting is basically your middle name at this point, and I'm here for it. Just just wanted to let that, let that out there. Oh, my goodness. Oh, shit. These bitches are pink. So I was in my last week at Jalopnik, and the story behind that is if you're ever driving around and you see a Dodge Charger or Challenger SRT, those came from the factory with splitter guards and they're yellow. They're meant to protect the splitters during transport pretty much. And they're to be taken off by the dealers at the dealerships. So you're not supposed to keep the yellow splitter guards on there. A bunch of people did. And it became a fashion statement to have yellow splitter guards on your Dodge Chargers and Challengers. So when you see that, that is what people are doing. Turns out the designer of these cars, like the Dodge's head designer for the Charger, I'm pretty sure, he, that made him so mad, so (laughs) mad, because he was like, the design for this, and you can Google this, the design for this was not meant to be 
you have these yellow things on the splitter. You're not supposed to do that. Those don't stay. Those are for right. transport. And yeah. you are ruining my design. And he was so mad because I remember I was at the launch of the Hellcat wide body for the Charger in California. And he was talking about this. So he was like, we're going to figure out a way to get people to stop leaving these on. So they turned them pink. And I was like, that just, that's, people are just going to want to keep that on more. Right, right. Oh, oh shit. These bitches are pink. <laughs> <laughs> they are pink now. Now we're talking. And here's the cat. Oh. Yes. Hello, Portia. How are you? <laughs> but yeah, so they made them pink so that to encourage people to take them off. And I was like, Okay, one, why did you choose pink? That's a little yeah. iffy to me. Two, they bought the car from you. It's fine. <laughs> like, they bought you it. Just be happy that they're getting the car. Like, don't worry about the intricacies of it. Don't worry about it. If they like the splitter guards, you made an accidental, like, greatness. It's accidental greatness. Just let them do what they want. It's fine. They like it. So, and did you write that headline? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And they probably wouldn't have let me run that like just in general because it was very random but they were like okay this is your last week and it's you're about funny to go. yeah i know you're about to go to a place that isn't gonna let you cuss and yeah. so just go ahead and publish oh shit these bitches are pink and i was yeah. like thanks that <laughs> was so, that's probably like top five headlines you've ever written in your life probably <laughs> i you know i'm trying to think of some other ones i've written but I don't know. I, you know, I really, really enjoyed the headline freedom I got there to just yeah. like be ridiculous because it was so, I love being ridiculous. I love shit posting. And I particularly love when I get to shit post on a platform with a bunch of readers and then like a hundred thousand people read it and you're like, hello. And you get paid for it. And you get paid for it. I don't get paid for my shit posts on Twitter. I just do that for fun. Yeah. <laughs> But that that was a fun one, yes. And what yeah. the characters of Yu-Gi-Oh would drive, that was that was beautiful. Yes, I yes. love getting to do that. <laughs> it seemed like Jalopnik, though, like it was a, it was a great fit for you. And mm -hmm. you started there when you were still in college. You were there yes. for I think, you know, what four or five years, about maybe five even more. Years, yeah, yeah. About five and, years. and you kind of like learned the internet as yeah. you were working there, as you graduated college. And you're like one of the most like Twitter, social media, internet savvy people like in the industry. So as you were like learning it on the fly, Jalopnik gave you a lot of freedom to kind of write what you want, do what you want, how you wanted to do it, ship post to your heart's content. So that I'm sure probably made leaving for Business Insider a little bit more difficult. It, you know, it was hard because I mean, I am, I am very much built for, oh, there's my alarm that I set at the wrong time. <laughs> I What's set that alarm for? for you oh, and I set it at the wrong time. Sorry about that. 2.17 um, PM. Time to start. 2.17 <laughs> PM. We started 17 <laughs> minutes ago. Oops. Um, uh, no, I, I was. Jalopnik very much fit me and that style of website very much fit me. And there was, there was this real heyday back in the Gawker media era, which Jalopnik was a blog under Gawker media. And for people who don't know the story of Gawker media, we got sued by Hulk Hogan and my cat is knocking things on the ground. Um, we got sued by Hulk Hogan. And then we went through a bunch of iterations pretty much after that. I'm going to pick this stuff up because she's going to make noise. Um, we went through a bunch of iterations after that. And it, it was hard. It was really hard to go through a lot of different ownership. But the amazing thing was that all the writers I was around, we kept our same spirit 
So you wouldn't have been able to tell just casually that all of this stuff was happening behind the scenes because we yeah. kept the same shit posting spirit. And that you look back at it and you're like, wow, we were really resilient through, through all that. There was a lot going on at that company and yeah. we still managed to bring joy to this webpage every single day, even when we weren't really feeling it. And that's kind of, that's kind of how I treat everything. Even if I am having like a bad day or a bad week or just a bad time in general, I'm going to log on and at least try to make some other people happy, you know? And I think that is important. Yeah. Well, you guys did that and then some, so I'd say mission accomplished. And even though that's what you guys tried to do, right? There's still always those people out there the haters, yes. the keyboard warriors that live in their mom's basement still. <laughs> I mean, there was a ton of commenters, like morons on Twitter. They still call you out. Yes. Uh, they still try to poke at you for being a woman and talking about cars and all this stuff. I mean, you knew that that was like bound to happen. And you've definitely learned to deal with that and ignore the people that need to be ignored. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure maybe at the start, I mean, I'm still dealing with it to a certain degree. Like you, you see it like words carry meaning. So for mm -hmm. you, obviously being a female in a male dominated industry, and again, like learning the internet in real time and dealing with all these people, like hundreds, thousands of people read your stuff. How did you end up dealing with the haters and the comments and the negativity that comes along with some of the work that you do? So I would say at first it was very shocking because you expect it, but you don't expect like you can you can expect something conceptually and it is very different when you actually experience it so Definitely. like when i first got there obviously i was a sophomore in college um and i had been on the internet but it wasn't like i was just like i had this huge high profile platform pretty much where when you make mistakes everyone can see those mistakes like that is very very hard and also when you share an opinion that maybe everyone doesn't agree with people take it very far and like here's the deal no matter no matter where i differ on opinions with people as long as they are not hostile toward me there's no reason to be mean to them there's no reason you just want to talk things through pretty just much discourse, yeah Yes, it's just discourse. And like, even then, you know, sometimes it's not my place to step in and talk to people. Mm -hmm. But when I first got on Jalopnik and I realized how big the platform was and like how mean people were all the time, just like emails, messages all the time, get very violent graphic threats, things like that. People find your phone number and they text and call you all night. And it's like, it it's a lot to handle. Um, it's especially a lot to handle. And I don't think a lot of people realize even the, even the lesser stuff that you wouldn't consider awful. Like I see all of those Reddit threads where people talk really, like they say really, really mean things about me. And it's like, I see those. I've gotten to the point where I don't care. Like it's whatever. I've been on the internet yeah. for a long time. You're say a vet. <laughs> I'm confident in myself. But back in 2015, when I started, yeah, that would have been really, really hard. And it was really, really hard. And it was very hard to get used to. And I've kind of crafted this like shell where I'm like, you know, unless unless you're like physically threatening me, like you're going to show up at my house, which, yeah, that's happened. Uh, people have threatened that kind of thing before. Unless you pose a serious threat, I don't really care. Um, or if I actually mess up, that does bother me. I don't like to mess up. Um, I don't really care. 
But I do understand that not everyone is like me. And I find it very unfortunate that people still talk about people the way they do and act the way they do online, not knowing who is on the receiving end of that. And that is very, very unfortunate to me. Like someone could be going through something very difficult. People don't, people only see my shit posts. People don't know what's actually going on in my day-to-day life. If you hit me with something like, like a graphic, horrible, violent threat, and I like something really terrible is going on in my life. That's going to make a big, a bigger impact than it would if I was just chilling, you know, and people do not consider that there are people on the other end of that. And I just find that so unfortunate. I really do. Well, it's the classic thing where it's like, you know, somebody tweets somebody and says, let's take a driver, for example, right? Let's just say Kyle Busch because he's the villain in NASCAR right now. (laughs) I mean, Hey, today he was twerking. So that's, like, that's true. Yes, he was twerking in, uh, in the Bahamas or wherever he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was dancing. He was dancing. But but for real, like, so everybody hates him, right? You know, somebody tweets at him and says, you're terrible. You wrecked my driver. I mm-hmm. hope that you and Samantha never are able to have another kid again. That's And see, that is the kind of, so that people know that that is a trigger for those two. People that's what know- I'm saying. That that is a source of trauma for them and something yeah. that is very difficult for them. And it's like, you know what? On a normal day, Kyle Bush gets a million tweets. But if there is something going on in his life on that day and you send that to him, that could have so much more impact than it normally would. And it's and like people just don't think about you? like what they would yeah. feel if a similar situation no. happened to them. Like like put no. yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I yes. guarantee you there's hundreds of thousands of people that have like typed out something like that and then said, you know what, I'm not going to send that just because bad things come of it. But then for the hundreds of thousands of people that do, that don't, Mm -hmm. there's that one person that does. And then you always remember the one negative thing rather than the hundreds of positive things. So it's just people don't think about the receiving end of what they're saying because words carry meaning. And like I, I can remember some of the more like specific things I've gotten and some of the more graphic things I've gotten and some of the just like the, the heavier things I've gotten. And it's like, yeah. you think about it and you're like, why would you send that to someone? Like, it's the kind of thing that I literally could not say to you right now without going through a list of trigger warnings due to who might be watching. Like, yeah. those are the kinds of things I get. And it's like, y'all, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's Seriously. not. Like, just relax. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand why people do it. I'm never yeah. going to understand that type of stuff. But that's like a very real thing, though. So, I mean, as that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he was your husband at the time, but your fiance, boyfriend, now your husband, like you're sharing these things with him, I assume. I mean, what is what is his reaction? Because these threats that you you are you know alluding to, they involve him. Yes. Yeah, sometimes they do. Um, he in general. So in our relationship, he is very much the, okay, let's sit down and look at this from a logical perspective. And let's see, like, could these people actually find our house? Could they do this? Like, and if not, let's maybe just put it behind us. You know, he is, he's very methodical. He looks at things just from a third party perspective, even if they involve him. And I really do appreciate that from him because of the fact that like me, I am extremely online. I'm online all the time. Him, he does not have a presence, (laughs) you know, 
he does not have a presence online. And that really helps. Like even I'll give an example. I had a McLaren 720S a couple of weeks ago and we parked it in the garage next to our Mazda Speed Miata. He really wanted to post a picture of it on the Miata subreddit and be like, finally found my dream Miata and the McLaren is in the background, like in the garage, because that would be hilarious. But he was like, no, people know you have that car and I don't want them to know what my Reddit account is. So it's the kind of things like that that you really have to think through just from a logistical perspective. Yeah. How do we keep our footprint as small as possible? And they have services where you can get like people's information removed from the internet, subscription services, and a lot of journalism companies provide that to their reporters. I've had my stuff removed from the internet. I've had my mom's removed. My husband has a much more common name, so it's not as important. Um, But I've had that kind of stuff done because like, I'll give an example. When I wrote a story about Barstool Sports a couple of years ago, the fandom for Barstool Sports is that kind of fandom. They, You will get thousands of people attacking yeah. you just because they brought attention to you. We saw that happen with people like Jim Utter. We saw yep. that happen. It was very, very unfortunate. Um, I did not want... A lot of those people are just doing it because they like that's what they do. But I did not want there to be that one person who's actually serious and then be able to find my information and dox me because that has happened before. People have been doxed by Barstool sports fans. And so I got everyone's information moved from the Internet to try to protect my family members and myself. And that's the kind of stuff you have to do. And it's like I shouldn't have to do this, (laughs) but I do. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it sucks that that's the situation that, you know, you're in at certain points, but it just shows that there's like a lot, not to get too deep because I want to keep this lighthearted, but (laughs) don't worry about it. Sorry. I know. It's just like, it shows that there's a, there's a lot of work left to do for society to just like get with the freaking program here. Like just be a decent person. It doesn't cost you anything. You know what I mean? It's just. It's mm-hmm. sad, but thank you for sharing that stuff. Cause I know it's kind of like deep stuff, you know? Okay. So uh, again, people are saying Alanis doesn't really work in racing anymore. Why is she on the show? Well, she did. And she still kind of does. So you had some work done at speed sport auto week, yeah, some other places here ago. and there. You went to Texas earlier this year. Like you're still around. You still talk to yeah. people in racing. Uh, when though, did you kind of shift your focus in terms of your journalistic career from, into the racing world, you know, going that route, like deep into it to more of the car enthusiast type of role and appealing to that type of reader. Like, was it a conscious decision or was it more so just Jalopnik slash Business Insider wanted you to go a certain way? How did that situation work out for you? So I would say your job is very much determined by where you work. And when I was at Jalopnik, it was like I did a very equal mix of automotive and motorsport. When I came to Business Insider, that was not part of the job description that I took. It was transportation because of the fact that our newsroom is like one side and the other. And so I'm not connected with that sports side. Uh, And I was like, you know, I think I can, I think I can do that. And I think it will be kind of nice to step away from motorsports at least for a little while because you can hear my cat opening cabinets. It's lovely. It'll be nice to step away from motorsports just for a little while because of the fact that this is one of my earliest passions and covering it all the time. 
it's a job. And sometimes it can be hard to remember your passions when you work yeah. in it all the time. And so I was oh, yeah. like, this is probably okay. Like I'll probably do a little bit of motorsport stuff at Business Insider, but like maybe only a couple of times a year. And aside from that, I can kind of enjoy myself. Like I really enjoyed getting to go to the Texas race, what in June mm -hmm. and not do any work. Like yeah. I just went and screwed around. <laughs> and I haven't gotten to do that since probably like 2014 or something. I'm jealous. Like, yeah. I went and screwed around, you know, and like, it's so fun to just go to something and screw around and not have to work. And I really, really enjoyed that. And so, you know, it's hard sometimes because there are a lot of things I want to write that, you know, it's during my nine to five. I can't really do that unless I have a lot of free time someday. There are things I want to write, but then I remember like, Hey, you're feeling like this now, but in a week, it won't really matter if you wrote that story or not. Like you'll be fine. Other people can write that story. Um, so that's okay. And also I can just share my opinions online, you know, and it's fun to be able to like tweet a serious thing like once a month. But aside from that, I'm just screwing around pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and also it's very, very nice that we now have our um, Tuesday night Twitter spaces chat. Yeah. Racing spaces. It's, awesome. it's so fun because we started that on a whim. We were just like randomly one day, like let's test out the spaces feature. And now it's a thing where we do it every week and we have guests who come back like a lot, like Tommy Joe Martins comes all the time. Darian Grubb comes all the time. Denny Hamlin comes a lot. Like it's just the thing it's we awesome. do now. And it's really, really fun. And we've just grown it into this weird, thing that people for some reason go to and i really really like that because we get to hear from nascar drivers other nascar competitors we get to hear from them and we get to hear from them in not like a press conference post-race interview exactly type of thing. exactly and what i really enjoy is that moment on racing spaces when someone comes for the first time and they're very much in like a thank my guys at the shop kind of like mode and then we get them out of it and you can yeah. hear the moment they shift and it's so fun. Like we learned Tommy Joe does Dungeons and Dragons every Tuesday. Like we learn stuff like this. That's so fun. And we had one whole episode where we talked about Tommy Joe writing screenplays, stuff like that. You're just like, this is so fun. And every week I ask NASCAR drivers how hot they think Chris Angel is. And they're like, what? And I'm like, what? And then they tell me. And <laughs> it's, it's so fun. It's a great question. Yeah. No, I love it. And like, I've only been able to tune in like one or two times to spaces yeah. because Tuesday nights I have work and I can like never uh -huh. tune in, but I'm always just following on Twitter and I see Bozy yeah. tweet and I see Megan tweet and I see Brad's on, I see Tommy Joe's on, I see Denny's on talking about chart. I'm like, this is on, like, this is great. And it just started organically from a few friends coming together and saying, let's try it out. And now yeah. it's every Tuesday at 8.30. Like, who who had the initial idea? Like, did somebody approach you? Did you approach somebody? How did it start? So it was actually Bozy and Rebecca. So two of our hosts, um, Bozy and Rebecca Faust, they were like, let's test out this feature. And since everyone's talking about boot cut versus scrunchy pant fire suits this week scrunchy let's just pants. debate yeah we call them scrunchy pants because like, like what it. else do you call them i don't know it has puppy car vibes 
Yes, exactly. Cuppy car, yeah. scrunchy pants, like stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> so we debated that and it turned out all these people came and we were like, so do we want to do that again next week? <laughs> and then we did. And it just became a thing. We created a Twitter account. We've been doing this for like, I don't know, three months maybe. And we have like 1500 followers on the Twitter account for racing spaces. Like it's awesome. It's so weird. <laughs> But it's great. It's, it really is. And it's like, it's a way, like you said, like as an interviewer, yeah. I aim to get drivers out of their shells. Yeah. Whether I know them well or whether I don't know them well, I try to ask questions that make them feel comfortable enough mm -hmm. to be able to like shed that outer layer and just let people see the person behind the race car driver. Because that's yeah. what fans want to see. And yeah. I like what you said, because there usually is a moment. Yes, where like, you know, they realize that like, A, they're not in race car driver mode anymore and they yes. like it. Exactly. And they're like, you're, you're like, oh, I did that. Like we did that. And that's <laughs> awesome. And that's what racing space is all about because, you know, you guys can have serious conversations, whether it be about racing stuff or whether it be about mental health on and off the track. And then you yeah. can, t you know, ask Denny Hamlin how hot Chris Angel is. Like you yes. run the gamut. Yes. And last night we actually, we had a really, really long conversation about racism and other things that happen in motorsports, because I'm sure you saw over the weekend, there was a lot of really bad harassment for Lewis Hamilton on social media. And yeah. so we got this conversation going and we ended up talking about that for like 90 minutes. And so, you know, some weeks you're talking about Chris Angel, some weeks you're talking about racism and it's like, it's amazing. Never know what you're going to get on racing spaces. You never know what you're going to get. And what I found so funny was a couple of weeks ago after they announced the Atlanta reconfiguration, um, we had a bunch of people come on and Denny Hamlin joined specifically to answer the Chris Angel question. Like that is why he joined. Really? <laughs> is this confirmed? Like that's why he actually joined? So he joins kind of periodically, um, yeah. but I had asked him, I was like, we need your answer. And he didn't come up the week before, like onto the stage to speak. He didn't yeah. come up because he was like on a plane, I think. And then he came back and I was like, Denny, you do not get to duck out this time. Uh -huh. You have to come up here to answer the Chris Angel question. And we ended up having to do tech support for like 30 minutes because Spaces was glitching. And we had just had to do this with Blake Cook because Spaces was glitching. So we did tech support with him and I was like, okay, restart your app. Okay, update your app. Okay, <laughs> restart your phone. And so Blake was hopping in and out. And then we had to do the same thing with Denny because we couldn't get them from listener to speaker. Oh, man. And we finally get this done, right? And we finally get him up there. And I'm like, all right, are you ready? And he was like, yeah. And so I asked him the Chris Angel question. He gives us his detailed Chris Angel rating. And then we get into the Atlanta configuration. And it ended up that a bunch of outlets cited all of those comments from racing spaces. Yeah. All those comments. Nobody mentioned that the whole reason he was there was to talk about Chris, Chris Angel. Angel. <laughs> and like, that's the hilarity of it. That is what I find so funny. Like he was not there to talk about the Atlanta reconfiguration. That's amazing. And then we end up in all these news stories and people are like trying to explain what racing spaces is. <laughs> Hilarious stuff. But yes, we Crazy keep a spreadsheet world. of Chris Angel ratings. So we have both of Denny's ratings in there because we got two. 
He gave mm-hmm. Chris Angel a six and a half in goth mode and an eight and a half when he looks normal. So, Okay. Well, Pretty thank good. you, Danny, for your input. We appreciate that. Thank you for that. Parker Kligerman gave me a 10. Um, mm. Colby Howard gave me a breaks my scale, so I assigned him a 19. Um, Fair. Lovely. Good stuff. Great All stuff. Right. <laughs> so let's dive into Chris Angel a little bit more, please. Oh, because goodness. I don't think... And I, I want to like try to get through a lot of stuff here. So okay, uh, okay. I don't I don't think that I've ever gotten an answer from you. Like, how did your Chris Angel obsession come about? Why is this a thing? How long has this been a thing? Tell me everything. <laughs> this is a good question. I, I would say it's like it's existed so long that I don't know how it came about. Like I watched him on A&E when I was a kid. He had Mind Freak um, on TV. I would watch it all the time. I was like obsessed with this man and if you look up the original opening for mind freak on a and e it is this weird thing they're like on like some salt flats or something and there's like people crawling around like it looks kind of like the grudge like and they're doing a song (laughs) like if you watch it you understand that the vibe is like equally weird with me and it works Um, that's always just what I did when I was a kid and I was obsessed with him. And when I was like 12 in middle school, I had this picture. So there's this very famous set of pictures of Chris Angel where he's on like a light gray background and he's not wearing a shirt and he has like a handcuff belt and all this stuff. Love it. That was my computer background. All of middle school. My laptop. Still not. That's a great question. I need to just shift. Back. Like, I don't know why I grew out of that. I don't know why I grew out of having Chris Angel's my laptop background. But all of middle school, they had we had school issued laptops uh-huh. and mine just had that photo of a shirtless Chris Angel as the background for like three years. I hope that he knows like how much of an impact he's had on your life. Do you think he does? I don't think so. So my friend Kristen, actually, she always brings it up and she's like, his team has to know who you are. At this point, they have to. Like at this point, they have to. Uh, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't know. I think you've never met him in person. I have. I've met him two or three times in person, and I have pictures. What happened? With- I'll get one. I'll get one. Um, he. So the first time I was like 14 or so, and it was after his Vegas show, and we were in the front row. So he took pictures with like a couple of people before going backstage. Like that was it. And then the last time I met him was right before the pandemic. And he was leaving the show and everybody had like waited outside to meet him because he was doing meet and greets, but he canceled the one that night because the venue wouldn't like let him have it or something. And so I met him and it was very, very quick. He was wearing like, I swear he's wearing like cookie monster pajama pants or something. Cause he had (laughs) changed. Like, I swear it was like cookie monster pajama pants. And it's actually very interesting interacting with him because he won't shake anyone's hand because his kid has an illness and he doesn't want, and this was before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. It is immunocompromised. And he's like, I I can't have your germs on my hand as a handshake. So he was ahead of all of us, right? Yeah. So he, he only fist bumps for people and people will be like, please shake my hand. And they'll be like, no, oh. <laughs> like, I don't want to get my kids sick. I'm getting the picture. Hold on. And I'm going to hold it up to the screen for you. Okay. I just got to find it. We got to, we got to pull this up. Yes. Me and my man. Okay. Um, well, while you're finding it, I've also been told that this question kind of goes hand in hand with Chris Angel. Um, okay. There we are. There are he we- is. 
Aren't we just so cute? Yeah. Oof. What a cute couple, truly. I know. I know. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, <I've>, go on. <laughs> I've been told to ask you about machetes. Yes, I do have machetes. I do have machetes. Uh, so <laughs> they did this studio sale. Um, Chris Angel Studio did this studio sale where they sold old props. And he has parts of his acts have machetes in them. And I bought 13 machetes from his Vegas 13? Show. No, 11, not 13. 11. 11. Do Still you mind alive. sharing how much this ran you? Uh, like $350. Oh, that's <laughs> not that bad. I thought it was going to be more than that. That's fine. I mean, I spend that on die casts. Yeah, like, okay, it, it was like a package deal. They were like, we could either do this for this price, this for this price, or you can buy the whole lot for like 320 bucks. Might as well just do it, yeah. Done. Give me the 11 machetes. Easy. And that is how I ended up with 11 machetes. Okay, so uh, the person that told me to ask that question also oh, no. happens to be the same person that you uh, ate shit in the La Quinta parking lot when you were meeting oh, her for great. the first time yeah. in person. So please tell me the first time you met Trish Westfall and uh, fell on your face in the La Quinta parking lot. Oh, lovely. Great. I love this story. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, we've been friends for oh, like 10 years, something yeah. like that. And when we first met in person, she had flown down for the Texas Motor Speedway races in like, I think 2013 or so. And I like made her a sign like, welcome to Texas and all this stuff. Aww. And I am notoriously clumsy, right? Notoriously clumsy. And like, I ran out of the hotel lobby and there was like a shift in the ground that I didn't realize. And I just like story. face planted, face planted. And I actually ripped all the skin off of my hand. Like I had this Ooh. giant thing on my palm. The first and time you're meeting a person, you're like, hi. And, you're just and I, ripped, out. I ripped my pants and I was bleeding. So within five <laughs> minutes we were in the hotel room, I didn't have pants on. I was bleeding everywhere. Like, <laughs> oh my it was God. lovely. I like my pants were ripped. There was blood everywhere. Like it oh. was, it was an event. It was Unreal. really an event. <laughs> Unreal. Uh, what about your pizza take and sauces? What's going on there? Oh goodness. Oh goodness. Oh my, we're getting into this. Okay. Um, <laughs> my pizza take was also a blog that was on Jalopnik. <laughs> I don't know how that made it on Jalopnik, but it did. Don't question it. Uh, don't question it. It's just there. Um, my take is that pizza is not a meal. It is absolutely not a meal. Um, what is it? It's just a thing that exists. You cannot have a meal with pizza because of the fact that pizza never makes you feel full or satisfied. You just you haven't had enough pizza. Okay, well, maybe, but you can't no, feel- It's not satisfied. a maybe. You just haven't had enough pizza. Take it from somebody that's overweight. You have not had enough pizza. <laughs> A meal has a main course and sides. When you have pizza, the only kind of side you can have is either pepperoni rolls, which is more pizza, or a salad. And I don't believe in sandwich vegetables. That's not true. You could have fries. You could have ranch. Absolutely a ranch not. cup could no, be a side. No, absolutely not. Breadsticks? No. Pasta? No, that's basically pizza. Um, what? Basically pizza? <laughs> it's you don't bread boil and pizza. Sauce. It's bread and sauce. Wow, this, was, it, this is this is a take. I will say this. <laughs> and you can't, salads are bad. 
because salads are sandwich vegetables and I don't eat sandwich vegetables because that's disgusting. And I used to have like this, I used to have like this insecurity about not eating salads. So if I went somewhere and like the salad was included, I would try to eat it to not look weird. Well, we're more alike than we think because I had my first salad, uh, like three years ago. It was terrible, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not great. I'm not going to go out of my way. It's terrible. And I'm just, I don't even pretend to eat it. I'm like, I don't do, I don't do green things that are not cooked. Like Mm -hmm. I don't do even some green things that are cooked, but if they're not cooked, I'm not eating it. No, that's a sandwich vegetable. And I don't do sandwich vegetables. Sandwich vegetable. Bring me the seven year old special when you bring me my sandwich or my burger. So like, I guess then a meal to you, what constitutes a meal is like a beginning, a middle and an end. Like it needs, it needs like a story arc. It needs a story arc and pizza does not have a story arc. So fast food is not a meal. I mean, fast food has a story arc. Like you you can get like a burger, a drink, and then like, I don't know, something else. And like some fries or something. That is a story arc. Okay. Okay. Hear me out. What, what if, what if you went, to a restaurant. Okay. You got an appetizer. Let's say, okay. I don't know, uh, mozzarella sticks. And then That's you just got more like. Pizza. <laughs> what is. How it's is a cheese. mozzarella stick pizza? Jeez. Okay. Uh, okay. Excuse me. Let, let's call it loaded baked potato skins or whatever. Okay. Is that pizza? Fine. I mean, it has cheese on it. <laughs> it's not. Okay. Hey, okay. Here you go. How about you get an appetizer of fries, just potato and salt? Absolutely. Love okay. That. Then you get an individual, like, like I don't know, 10-inch pizza for your main, and then you get ice cream as dessert. What's that? Uh, it still involves pizza. So it's you're just- so okay, so so you just don't like pizza because no. I just explained to you a meal <laughs> that included pizza as the main hey, course, which but- I think if I pull the tape, you said. Pizza does not have a side or an appetizer or whatever. But it's the main course. Fries are not a suitable side for pizza. It's not. Fries it's the app. The, and that is still not a side. Do you see what you I'm saying? You need a side with your main? Yes. You, it's just how it works. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there because this kind of ties into your uh, chain restaurant obsessions, right? Oh, no. I've done my research, as you can tell. This is just, uh, like a, this is just a roasting session. No, 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 no. The, the pizza is the only thing that I will disagree with you on. I like okay. chain restaurants. Can you give Love me like your Mount Rushmore? Like, are we oh, talking man. TGI Fridays? Are we talking? Oh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, no. Okay. No. Well, no, please, I love, enlighten I love me. Chili's is amazing. I love the Times Square Olive Garden. That's amazing. That's your location on Twitter, isn't it? Yes. And that is my location on Twitter. Before you go any farther. notices that my location. Can I tell you something? Yes. I've never been to Olive Garden. You should go. You should go to the Times Square Olive Garden. I'll buy my flight. Specifically. And yes, no one ever notices that my location on Twitter is Olive Garden, comma, Times Square. I did notice that. I love that. I'm the I first love one. No one notices. It's yes. no one ever notices it. But I would say Okay, so you, so you got Olive Garden, uh you got Chili's. Chili's and IHOP. IHOP is amazing, but love only for dinner, IHOP. not breakfast. I don't do breakfast at IHOP, only dinner. Really? Yes, only dinner. And I also think Buffalo Wild Wings has like this giant slice of cake. Oh my goodness. Woo. <laughs> oh, the Cheesecake Factory is too expensive. That, yeah. Someone else is paying for it. I'm yeah. going. 
Cheesecake it just is, has so many options. Oh, it is it is so expensive. But if if I'm not paying, I'm there. I am absolutely there. 100%. Have you seen the uh, Have you seen the iconic Vine of the guy where he's like, "Hi, welcome to Chili's." Have you yes. Seen that one? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's I what I associate that. with Chili's. Oh. Now I'll associate you with Chili's. So you're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, um, I had a I had a thing earlier which is going to get submitted to people that I do not, people who I do not know, and it's going to be great. Um, the interviewer said, what would you do if you saw Chris Angel at the Times Square Olive Garden? I was like, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> like, and he was carrying a Chili's carryout bag. I just like, that makes me emotional. <laughs> like, I see real tears right now. It makes me emotional. We're, okay, for all of you that are listening, I'm actually not kidding. I think you're actually tearing up. I'm not joking. <laughs> I really am. It makes me emotional. Oh, my God. <laughs> we need to make this happen. I'm not joking. If I saw Chris Angel... She's actually crying. Like, She's like blushing crying. and her eyes are welled with tears right like, now. Oh, man. I was not expecting that question this morning. And I was just like... <laughs> I would be, I would die. I would die. Okay, Man. let's move on. I don't want to make you so cry emotional. anymore. <sighs> wow. Okay. Didn't expect you to cry on this show, but here we are. Okay. Uh, I got like 10 more minutes, but I got to touch hey. on an amazing hey. series. Neat okay. stuff in cool cars. It was so fun. So <gasps> awesome. I feel like I discovered nice. it too late in the going, but when I was prepping for the interview this morning, I went back and I like binged some of them. Uh, you took your mom drag racing at Texas Motor Speedway in, yes. in her Hyundai Genesis. Spoiler yes, alert, you lost. Uh, I did lose You rode it. in a monster truck. Uh, you <laughs> no, were in Robo. No, that's one. what I mean. Yeah, you drove a monster truck. You you were in Robosaurus. You were on a MotoGP motorcycle. Yeah. You rode with Sebastian Vettel. Like, this is the greatest series created. Yeah, yeah, it was It was certainly interesting. I took my mom off-roading um, one yep. time. And we went to an off-road course in Texas called Texplex and it has jumps and like, so the off-road course, there's this giant hill and there's a jump and then it sinks way far down. Then there's a sharp left-hand turn at the bottom of it. And then you go up into this thing that's like basically a bowl turn. It is crazy. It is super high banked. You're basically like sideways and then you come back down it amazing course it was so fun wow. now i'm just sitting here like sending this off-road vehicle <laughs> over these jumps and just like whipping into these turns and my mom Whoop is it. like we are gonna die 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 and i'm like yes we are <laughs> did you guys flip it all no i no i did not i i i got a good driver i was not bad at that um and yeah, we did. We did drag racing and I drove a monster jam truck. Uh, really I cool. drove and and uh, I forgot the driver's name, but he gave you a tooth. Yes. Yes, he did. He gave me a do tooth. You still have it. Amazing. Yes, I do. It's in my office. Yes, yes I have that tooth. It's amazing. Um, and let's see what else did I do? I did a lot of things I did. I rode on the back of the MotoGP bike, which I kid you not. They tell you to get on the back of this MotoGP bike and they're like, okay, there's a handle on the gas tank. Hold it. And I'm like, we are going around Circuit of the Americas <laughs> on a MotoGP bike and I'm holding on. Like, if I let go, I would fly off of that thing. You're done. You're done. Yes. And like, 
if you've ever watched, let's see, MotoGP, it was actually, it was a Moto America. Sorry. Um, if you ever watched like MotoGP or Moto America, Crashes you ever are ridiculous. Their lean in the corners is like, this is the ground and this is them. And like, my knee is this far off the ground. And I'm like, this is where I die. Like today is the day I die. Today <laughs> is the day I die. But I refuse to like tap out. I don't even think I can take my hand off of this without dying. But today is definitely the day I die. How fast did you end up going? <sighs> I could have sworn it was like 170 or something. Um, it's fast. Today, that was the day that I thought I was going to die. Like, yeah. I am not joking <laughs> when I say that. Um, but it went fine. Other people did it too. I yeah. don't know why or how I was there. I was being put up to that by my bosses. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did a lot of wild stuff for those video series. And I tell you, I loved driving that monster jam truck. That yeah. that was fun. It I want to be really it looked really, really cool. Everybody loves Monster Jam. You you, yes. you can't hate it. All right, I got two more quick ones, and I'll okay. let you go. Um, the Sebastian Vettel ride-along, it wasn't at Coda, but it was like somewhere nearby in Austin somewhere. It looked yes. really, really fun. The, my yes. favorite part, though, was like you had the look of like sheer terror, but also sheer joy, and you were yes. just being like jerked around, and the hair was in your face, and, yes. and Seb was like super focused. Uh -huh. And when you got in, he's like, yeah, I almost crashed just now. And you're like, uh, okay. And he's like, I'm joking. <laughs> and then you just went. You know, so that was, so I would say that was what, 2015 US Grand Prix or something. Yeah, I was at a track near Surge of the Americas in Austin. Um, and that was when I was very, very early on in just like getting experience in cars. At this point, I do a lot of ride-alongs, you know, like I do a few track days a year myself where I'm driving yeah. on the track and often like you'll do a passenger seat ride just to learn the track and then you'll go out on the track and do your track days. This was so, legit though. Yes. Uh, at this point, like what I take a lot of solace in and what I think is really cool is that if I took my friends out to like Cirque the Americas and I had them right seat with me, they would be terrified. Like, oh, yeah. like I now, like I am so proud of the fact that I could terrify people on a racetrack. Like <laughs> a lot I could of power. Make, yes. I can make them just like, Oh, we're going to die. Like I remember one time I had a Lexus LC 500 and I had, my friend was in the car and I was like, okay, let me show you what it can do. 10 seconds. I went through two turns and she was like, <gasps> and I was like, that, that wasn't even, that was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That was nothing. Uh, and so that, I think that is really, really fun that I have now gained the skills to be able to do that to some degree. <laughs> and I find that really, really fun. <laughs> that is definitely fun. Rewarding. I'm jealous because I wish I could do that. It sounds, uh, it sounds so fun. All right, last thing, and I wish that we had more time to talk about it because there is so much to dive into with this. Uh, hey, it's I'm a bit of like a serious time. note, but you are a, about to be a published author because yes. you and Elizabeth Blackstock, Rich yes. Energy, the book, that is coming next year to bookshelves and websites <laughs> near you. Uh, precursor, like quick 411, Rich Energy, William Story, the Formula One sponsor for Haas. 
who yes. the hell knows where the hell that guy's ideas come from and money too. I don't know what the hell is going to go on in this book, but I know that I'm going to have to read it. So in a minute or two, can you pitch me on how this idea got started and what the process has been like putting this project together? Yeah. So we actually, we got reached out to by an agent who was like, I, I read this story that you did because if you remember back in early 2019, people were like, what is rich energy? We are so confused, but no one was writing stories about it. Like in general, people were kind of just ignoring it. Like writers, journalists, reporters were just kind of ignoring it. And Elizabeth and I in early 2019, when they were in the series with Haas, we were like, we need to figure out what's going on. So we did this whole thing where we looked up all the stuff about them, found out everything, did interviews with William Story, who's the CEO, did all this stuff. And we wrote the original story that was what you find when you look into Rich Energy, the mystery mm -hmm. sponsor of America's Formula One team. And a book agent read that and was like, I find this fascinating. Like, I think we, I think we should do a book about it. So Elizabeth and I have almost the entire book written. We are about awesome. 70,000 words in and we are starting <laughs> interviews. Um, and all of those words are fact-checked twice, separate from writing them. And you write, you fact-check as you write, and then you do a separate fact-check and another separate fact-check. So we have about 70,000 words of that done. And now we're starting on interviews and the stuff we have found is wild. <laughs> it is. I read this stuff back and I'm like, are you like, are you joking? Is this for real? <laughs> Did this wild. really happen? Yeah. Just the wildest stuff, just lawsuits, all these ridiculous tweets, all of this, like just so much drama, so much drama. And the sponsorship only lasted, they parted ways in September before yep. the season ended in November. Yep. And it was very public and it was very like kind of embarrassing. Um, and it's a fascinating story. It really is. And we talk some about other sponsors that have had like weird vibes in the past. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about the times Formula One teams Formula One teams have fallen for Nigerian prince scams. Um, they fell for one guy who pretended to be Saudi Arabian royalty and Jeez. like rented chateaus to pretend he was rich. I Just can't wait to read this. Fascinating stuff. It's the weirdest thing. There's a whole thing about earth water in it. If you remember earth water and yep, I remember. earth water is a whole thing. Like, there's so much in there. It's so funny. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to read it. And I know that you and Elizabeth are going to do a great job with it. Uh, I wish that we could talk about that more. But hey, maybe when the book comes out, we'll get you back on and we'll talk about that a little bit more. What do you say? Would love to. I cannot wait. All right. Alanis has got a little taste for us. So she's going to read us a passage from the book, Rich Energy, the book, coming next year to get you all primed up and hyped up for it. What we got? Okay, so this is actually like the very, very beginning of it. Like the first chapter, first like eight paragraphs or right. so. It goes like this. And I'm going to look to the side because I'm reading it off of this Please computer. So, William Story is like any other person trying to take over the world. If you listen to him long enough, you'll start to believe him. But the numbers, they'll say he's full of it. Story, who founded British energy drink company Rich Energy in 2015, doesn't look like most CEOs, nor does he act like them. 
His coarse wavy hair drapes midway down his chest alongside a beard of the same length, both of which are a dark brown at the root that trickles to a near blonde at the tips, with threads of gray woven in between. Story regularly leaves both unkempt in a way most would equate with a stereotypical Harley Davidson enthusiast, styling only the roots of his fading hairline by smoothing them back past the crown of his head. In less formal settings, the same hairstyle is often worn with black and gold company swag and reflective face-hugging sports sunglasses, fitting of any dad heading out for a day on the lake. When Story talks, his gray-blue eyes stare you straight down. His attention doesn't divert, and his tone almost never changes. The only thing that really moves, aside from an occasional demonstration with his hands, is his beard, which almost entirely engulfs the calm motions of his mouth. There's a hint of rasp in his voice. It's low but not deep, touched by a subtle British accent. He rarely emphasizes his words because he rarely feels the need to. When he does, it comes with a raise of the eyebrow and a swish of the hand and is likely paired with one of his favorite words. Premium, brand, British, strategy, superb, platform, fantastic, absolutely, obviously. He has an international business, he'll say, and everything is a natural evolution. And the energy drink he's trying to sell you and the rest of the world is made only with the highest quality ingredients. He goes on to the next topic without telling you what those ingredients are. Story's product is a market leader, he'll tell you. And his small British startup is going against the Red Bulls of the world like David taking on Goliath. The people who need to know the startup is legitimate do know, and they also know its products are head and shoulders above the rest. Everyone else is just a doubter. And Story will tell you, doubters will be proven wrong in due time. He just won't tell you how. Story doesn't want to focus on the now or on the hard questions. When something might possibly inconvenience him or his narrative, such as asking how his startup squirmed onto the world stage of racing with a 20 million annual sponsorship deal, but $770 in the bank, or mentioning how he has a history of failed businesses. He'll quickly pivot the conversation to the future. It's a bright future at that. A failure to also focus on that future will make you a doubter. And you know what happens to doubters, because Story is convinced his company will come out the other end in a better position than before, somehow. His product exudes the same energy he does, confident and perhaps overly so. Its black can is accented only by one color, gold, and a sleek geometric deer head stretches nearly half of the can's height. The deer's antlers reach as sharp of a point as its chin, with rich spelled above and energy below in one of those faux futuristic fonts perfect for a movie staged on a space station 500 years from now. William Story knows he's great and knows he's destined for greatness. His truth might not be the truth, but that doesn't matter. He sees himself as the next big thing, the Elon Musk of energy drinks. So convinced of his vision that regardless of what reality says, he's going to make you convinced of it too. So long as you don't actually run the numbers or check the facts for yourself. And that right there is where the Haas Formula One team went wrong. And that's the opening. Wow. It's almost like you should have a career with writing or something. <laughs> it's almost like I should write stuff, right? That is good stuff. Man, uh, it took I watched so many interviews with William Story just to make notes of his mannerisms in order for that opening description. It's great. It 
it was like hours of interview watching just to like see how he acted and see what he did with his hands and his face and his tone and everything like that. I had to watch so many. <laughs> the end of that is what we call a tease, people. And yes. that is what we love to hear. Rich Energy, the book, 2022. I can't wait to, I can't wait to buy it. I can't wait to read it. I, I'm really excited. I, it's been a lot of fun to put together and I'm hoping people like it. You know, that's all you can hope. Next time I will try not to make you cry thinking about your dream scenario with Chris Angel in the oh. Times Square Olive Garden. Uh, oh, but no, seriously, th this is so fun. I'm glad I got to catch up with you. I'm sorry I made you cry. I I'm glad wait. Portia came and said hello and uh, we'll do it again soon. So thank you very much, Alanis. Absolutely. Thank you. And we're back. Big, big thank you to Alanis for all the time and for giving us that quick excerpt of Rich Energy, the book. Like I literally got goosebumps when I was listening to that, especially the end. She and Elizabeth are going to do a great job. I can't wait to read that. And no, that is not a paid advertisement. Advertisement. I'm genuinely just excited to, to, to read the thing and, and see the behind the scenes aspects of William's story and rich energy. So Alanis, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry I made you cry. And uh, next time I go to, or I guess for the first time that I go to Olive Garden, I will let you know how it is. We got no race to preview this week because it's the Olympic break, of course. So watch the Olympics. Go on vacation with your family, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your significant other, whatever. Just relax, sit back, and enjoy yourself. Look, nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. NASCAR and Penn National Gaming have expanded their partnership in the state of Arizona. That's significant because Phoenix Raceway hosts the finale. State Water Heaters is sponsoring Jeb Burton at Richmond. Blacktop Mojo is sponsoring Kyle Tilly at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Kevin Whitaker Chevrolet is doing the same with Jeremy Clemens Racing at Watkins Glen. And Chris Lane is going to have a concert pre-race for the regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway. Penalties from New Hampshire, Penske's Todd Gordon and Trackhouse's Travis Mack have each been fined $10,000 for loose lug nuts. Next-gen car chassis are being delivered to teams this week. NASCAR got the results from the safety board, and they deemed that acceptable to start handing out the chassis so teams can finally get to work. Of course, it comes when the off weekend's happening because, of course, it does. Congratulations to Austin and Ashland Hill. They welcomed a baby boy to their lives, so congratulations to the new mom and dad. Of course, uh, right after the podcast dropped last week, we had the Austin Sindrick to the two, Harrison Burton to the 21, Matt Benedetto out at the end of the season, announcement become official from Penske. So obviously we wanted to hit on that with lug nuts. Uh, just a quick takeaway, Matt Benedetto. it seems like he may be playing the victim. I don't know if that's what he meant to come off as, giving him the benefit of the doubt, but it doesn't look great because he was told a year ago that he wouldn't be back. And Roger Penske said as much on Sirius XM NASCAR radio this week, so. It makes sense to put Cindric in the two. It makes sense to get a young driver in Harrison Burton in the 21. And for Matt Benedetto, he just has not had the results. So even though he's a great guy and he's a good race car driver, they gave him his time and his time is up. And since the two car is now being filled by Austin Cindric, that of course means Brad Keselowski and Roush Fenway Racing's announcement has become official. He will drive the six car next year and have a partial ownership stake in Roush Fenway Racing, the worst kept secret in the entire sport of NASCAR, maybe sports in general. 
has now officially become official. So congrats to Brad. Congrats to, to the cat in the hat. Congrats to Steve Newmark, everybody over there that had a hand in the announcement. Exciting stuff for all. That'll wrap things up for episode 117 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your pods, we should be available there for your consumption. Until next time, we'll have another guest on from the NASCAR world. Got a couple guests lined up in the can knocking on wood. And again, no racing this week or next week. So sit back, relax, and just enjoy yourselves. Peace and love, my dudes. We'll catch you on the flip side.